Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I am excited today because uh, God has a very funny sense of humor I have learned in my time of knowing him and loving him. Um, And here's why. It's because something I don't openly admit because despite my small stature, I do enjoy being a macho man, at least pretending to be. So something that is a little vulnerable for me to admit is this. Uh, Growing up, I didn't like school very much. To the point where after I watched Arthur and had my Pop-Tarts in bed, um, I would have to get ready for school. And I would cry profusely getting ready for school because I hated school that much. I was scared my teacher was going to be upset with me. I was scared I was going to fail. And uh, by sixth grade, this was still going on, and uh, it was a problem, okay? And so I was bound and determined growing up as a kid. I was like, no matter what happens to me in life, I will never, ever be a teacher, no matter what, because I'm done with school as soon as I am done with this. Now, the more ironic part about all of this is in school, I eventually became to become quite fond of school. I love stretching myself. I consider myself an academic, all these different things. But the one thing that I really, really had to battle at was math, okay? The kind of math where it's like I could I could get it, but I had to work at it time and time and time again. And there were many nights at the dinner table doing my homework when I would just like try to pull my own hair out. Now, despite the irony that our youth pastor is a math major, mind you, uh, there's even more irony in the fact that I was determined that I would never have to use math ever again in my life. You, I mean, and don't tell me you guys haven't thought the same thing, right? Like, we've all had that thought when we're in 10th grade algebra, and we're like, when am I ever going to have to use this in the rest of my life, right? And we usually don't, but um, today I'm going to combine these two things of irony t- together, and I'm going to teach with a whiteboard I'm also not Vanna White, but I'll try my best. I'm going to teach with a whiteboard for a second using a math equation because I have learned, despite the fact that I determined I would never teach or never use math, I have learned that a lot of times I feel like faith kind of is set up like a math equation. Here's what I mean by that. A lot of times in our life we think that if we do good, and again, I'm sorry, I have the penmanship of a fifth grader. If we do good and we have God on our side, what will happen is good things, right? If we come to church, if we do good things, if we, if we stop doing bad things, if we start putting all this good into the world, all this good into our walk with God, if we start looking to serve God as much as we can, by default, good things will happen. On top of the fact, this equation also goes the other way. A lot of times, We expect that if there's someone who's maybe not the best person, uh, maybe doesn't do the best things, uh, they're not serving God to any capacity, they're doing evil things, and then you have God, what will happen is God and all of his power and might will therefore bring bad things to their life, right? A lot of times if you grow up in the church or if you have heard enough sermons, a lot of times it feels like this is the math equation of faith. You do good, God blesses that, good things happen, right? The bad things that happen, 
or bad pe- the bad things that some people do, God's eventually going to make them right, and bad things are going to happen to them, right? That's the equation that we all tell ourselves. The problem is, this math doesn't always add up, because I don't know about you guys, but I've seen plenty of circumstances in which good, really amazing people who love God, who serve God, who, who do all these different things, um, they have some really bad things happen to them. And that's tough, right? That's really tough to wrap your head around if you're going, God, why? Right? I'm doing the best I can. I am trying. I'm trying to be a good person. Why in the world am I being dealt this hand? And it's tough to wrap your mind around. But I think the one that's honestly even tougher to wrap our minds around, the one that just eats us alive and creates a crisis of faith, is when you have bad, evil things being done by people who have no remorse, no regard for God, yet really good things happen to them. Right? This is the kind of math that is not fun, that is not enjoyable to wrap your head around, because this creates a crisis of faith. We're going, what's the point, God? What's the point? If I'm doing really good things, and you are the God who you say you are, why in the world does my situation, my life, look like this? On top of, while I'm struggling here, how come these negative, awful things that are being done are resulting in really good things for other people? I don't get this. How come I don't deserve that? All these thoughts are bombarding your mind and your faith, and it creates this crisis of faith. And if you haven't experienced this yet, I've got really good news. You will. You will experience this equation. You will experience the fact where it's like, I'm waiting on God, but nothing's happening. Yet while I look on the news, this person who, God bless them, we're called to love them, but they maybe aren't the best person, how come they continue to thrive in everything that they do? What's up, God? Either you're not real, or I'm not understanding this, because this is not how it's supposed to add up. And the good news is, if you haven't experienced it, you will, but likely a lot of us in this place have because we are aware that we live in a world that is still broken, a world that has its issues. And the good news is this is not new. This is not a new concept that we have to wrap our brains around in 2023. This is something that happened thousands of years ago in the day and age of a man named David because here's what he says in Psalm chapter 37. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Instead, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37 is one of the more common ones that a lot of us maybe have heard before or seen before because of that little verse in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And a lot of times we look at this verse and we kind of, again, treat it like a math equation because we have dreams, right? We have plans for our life. We really want this job. We really want that vehicle. We really want this for our kids. We really want to have this much money so we can buy this kind of house. We have a lot of these dreams and delights that are a lot of times God-given, but regardless, we look to this verse and we go, okay, 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Therefore, if I just delight in the Lord, and I am just living my life and serving him, if I delight myself in God, what will happen is I get my truck. Right? Right? This is the math. If I delight myself in the Lord, and I come to church, and I serve, and I honor, and I love the person who calls my shirt stupid, I'll get my truck. Right? We have these things in our life where we look at and we go, okay, if I just delight myself in the Lord and I just serve him and I look to him, I will get everything that my heart desires. And here's the thing. We serve a God that is incredible. A God that gives us things that we don't deserve. We have a God who gives us a great job, a great house, a great vehicle, a great marriage. Great kids, you you insert what it is for you. But we have a God who puts dreams inside of us and blesses us with those, despite our behavior. We have that God who does those things for us. But here's the thing, is it's not a math equation. It's not like if you delight yourself in God, you'll get your house, you'll get your job, you'll get your stuff. It doesn't work that way. Because this verse is not talking about how you get the things in your life that you want. Yes, God does give you your new house if you are are continually just working towards that. He might give you that. He might give you that promotion. He might do all of these things. But that's not what this psalm is about. Because verse 4 of chapter 37 is sandwiched between two very important chunks of Scripture that give us a better taste as to what's actually happening here. I read the first two here. Don't be, don't fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong for like grass, they will soon wither. But here's what comes after verse four. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. I don't know why this is the case, but all parents are born with an innate vocabulary that just happens to the moment your kids are born. Growing up, I hated this phrase more than anything else because I said so. I hated it. Mom, how come I can't do that? Because I said so. I, yeah, but why? Because I said so. Okay. You took an octave up. Still no clarity, though. You know? Like, I don't get why because I said so was an appropriate response. Yet, as a parent now, I say it all the time. Even though I said I would never say it. It just kind of happens. Right? You are, like, born with this vocabulary that just gets passed down to you. But there's one phrase that I think most parents say all the time. I, you may have said it this week, but it goes a little something like this. Life isn't fair. See, we do know this phrase, right? It's a great one. And we love using it. I use it all the time. How come she got to play the tablet? Because life isn't fair. How come she got to have the dino nuggets? Because I'm out and I ate the other ones. How come... How come he got an iPhone and she got an Android? Because life isn't fair, buddy. Life isn't 
fair. And parents, we know how to say this all the time. We're really good at it. But the thing is, I think we struggle to actually apply that to our own life. It's easy to say life isn't fair when it suits your own needs for your kids. It's tougher to say life isn't fair when you get the raw end of the deal from somebody else. It's tough to say life isn't fair. It's something we say. It's not something we always internalize. And this psalm is exactly that. This is not a lament. This is not a sulky kind of thing where I'm just processing my emotions. This is not a psalm about we just got to praise God. We just got to declare with our mouth that God is good. It's not any one of those. This psalm, Psalm 37, is a psalm of instruction. It's a teaching. It's something where David is writing saying, hey, here's what life is looking like right now. Here's what you need to do to navigate it. Isn't that nice to have? Isn't it nice to know that we have a God who has been through this for thousands of years? We have a God who has seen everything under the sun and knows us and knows how to speak to us in a way to help us navigate through life. Because when I read this psalm, I'm aware that David lived in a broken world just like we do. Because guess what, everybody? Life isn't fair. It's not. And I know this. You, you turn on the news, you see this person did that again. And you're thinking, how in the world? Like, the amount of times I talk to people and they're saying, man, we need Jesus more than ever because we live in a broken world. We've always lived in a broken world for thousands of years. And I know this because look what David says in Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. If those who did wrong did not have things on the outside that were enticing, why would you be envious? If the evil men were not succeeding in having all of the riches, having all of the fame, having all of the power, why would you have to be envious of it? But when you look at that, clearly they must have been thriving in their life. Verse 2, for like the grass, they will soon wither. But then if you skip ahead a little, a little bit more, it says, do not fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Wicked schemes are succeeding. It's not fair. Life isn't fair. It's not fair that a man who can prey and exploit young women and children into human trafficking, it's not fair that because they're good with a cell phone, they can exploit these innocent kids into being abused every single day. And guess what happens to them? They get a fancy car, a nice cell phone, power, and money. That's not fair. It's not fair that the person in your company who cuts corners, who lies, who scams, who isn't truthful, it's not fair that they get the bigger numbers, the better office, the better promotion, even though you are doing it by integrity and character and doing it right, and you're not getting promotion. It's not fair. It's not fair that those who have been trying and trying and trying to have a baby, who have spent thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of dollars to try and have a baby together, who would be phenomenal parents, it's not fair that they can't have a baby. Yet every day, we have dozens and hundreds of kids being added to the foster care system because they don't have parents that are willing to love them and keep them. It's not fair. It's not fair 
that when I come to church every week, I do the right thing. I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying to work on myself. I'm trying to honor God, serve God, do all the right things. It's not fair that even after all that, I still have to take a hit after hit after hit, setback after setback. It's not fair when you're trying to do everything right and everything's going wrong. It's not fair. This is exactly what David is writing about in Psalm chapter 37. Because here's what happens. When life isn't fair and you are hit in the chin time after time, it's very tempting to say, well, maybe this this whole part of the equation isn't even there in the first place. Maybe he's not even there. Because I don't know how this math is adding up, but it sure doesn't seem like what this book is saying. And it's easy to say, well, I'm just in a close-up shop. But David is giving us a different way out. He is saying, no, 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 because everything is coming back into fruition. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Despite the fact that it's not fair, despite the fact that wicked men are succeeding, despite the fact that they have everything going right for them, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. Does this sound like a man who's closing up shop? Does this sound like a man who's seeing the unfairness of life and saying, well, that's just how it is. This sure doesn't look like it to me. This looks like a man who is saying, you need to press in and go after God, especially when life isn't fair. One of the quickest, most effective ways to experience the intimacy and the closeness of God is to choose him when it's not convenient. To trust him when it's not easy. This last 4th of July, uh, we went on a, on a boat with my dad and my kids. And Ellis, who's four years old, uh, he's still kind of learning how to swim and get everything squared away here. And so when he's on the sandbar, he's golden. He's, he's comfortable with that. But when we went swimming in the middle of the lake, Meg and I were swimming in the middle of the lake, 40 feet down. Ellis would get to the edge of the boat, and I could see the hamster wheel in his head spinning. Because in the worst way he wanted to be with mom and dad, he was like, Ah, you know, he had this internal battle of, I want to be where you are, but I can't see what's down there. I don't understand how I can swim. And despite the fact that he had a life jacket on, he could not propel himself into jumping in with us. Now, when I just grabbed his foot and yanked him in, he was fine. Eventually, I didn't do that. I'm not, I'm not an animal. I thought about it, but I didn't. But when he finally got in, he kind of like slowly slid in and every once in a while. he What I will never forget is I was floating in my life jacket, just kind of waiting for him to come in. And when he got into the water, I almost suffocated to death because he just grabbed my neck and squeezed because he was so petrified that he was going to sink to the bottom, which is terrifying and heartbreaking. But what was cool is you could, I could literally feel his trust growing when I had more oxygen in my lungs. Because as he slowly let go of my neck, he still held on to me. But it wasn't with a death grip. Because he understood that I'm floating. I'm good. Still don't like this, but I'm good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy a safe pasture. The land might be full, 
of evil people. You're safe. Enjoy it. I'm with you. Trust me. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. Trust. Delight. Commit. Trust. We live in an evil world. So did they. And David's saying, it's time for us. My first point is to draw in. Because we live in a world that is unjust. We live in a world that is not fair. So what we have to do is we have to draw in to who God is. I love how he says, delight yourself in the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean you just smile through and don't worry about anything? No, it means you delight yourself. You spend time in, you spend time with God, whether that's in worship. You come to church and you worship God. Even though we live in a broken world, when you choose to worship God, you are delighting in him. When you're driving down the road in your vehicle and you're worshiping him that way, you are delighting in God. Can I tell you, when you are with other people who love God and you're in this thing called fellowship, you are delighting in God. One of the things I have loved about being a part of recap group is you just get to do life with people. And it doesn't matter what kind of a day I've had when I walk into a recap group, there's just joy that I walk out with. Because you're with people who love Jesus. And you're sharing life together. You're doing life together. You are delighting in him by being together. The Bible says where two or more are gathered, there I am with you. God's with you by yourself. What does that text mean? It means when we're together as iron sharpens iron, we are spending time with God and learning in our relationship with God through other people. And it's so important for us to do that. When you worship, when you pray, when you're with other people, you are delighting yourself in God. And what happens is you have the desires of your heart, not the truck, not the vehicle, not the situation. Find the desires of your heart, which are peace, joy, purpose, security. All these things that are deeper than the things that you want are found when you spend time with Jesus. Yes, we live in a broken world. Yes, it's not fair, but we can still find exactly what we're looking for if we choose to draw in and delight ourselves in the Lord. The second thing to navigate a world that is unjust is to be patient. Isn't this easy? Isn't it easy to be patient and wait? In Psalm 37, it says this, do not fret. That phrase is so unique. I haven't, I don't recall seeing that many other places when I read my Bible. And so I looked up uh, a thing on Blue Letter Bible, and this phrase, do not fret, appears four times in the NIV version of the Bible, three of which are in Psalm chapter 37. It's very unique. It's almost like a tagline. So I had to dig into it. And that word fret, I'm going to teach you a little Hebrew word here today, okay? And yes. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and it sounds like you always have phlegm in the back of your throat. That's how it works. So this word fret is harach. Harach. Literally, if you, if you look up harach in, in the Hebrew, it's going to sound just like that. It's a weird word. But here's what harach or fret means. To be hot, furious, burn, to become angry, and to be kindled with a seething Anger. Isn't that a fun word? 
Isn't that fun, right? This is not just like you got cut off on the road and you're a little frustrated. No, this is the seething, burning anger that makes you want to punch a hole in the wall. The kind of anger that boils the very blood within your veins. And this word hurrah is actually displayed in a few other areas of the Old Testament. If you're familiar with the Bible, some of these might ring true. Some of them might not, and that's okay. But the first one is this, Cain and Abel. The frustration, the anger that they felt towards one another, that was hurrah. Second one, Sodom and Gomorrah. Two cities that were the most despicable, evil, vile cities in all of the Old Testament. The anger and the wrath that came from it was hurrah. And the last one, Moses and the golden calf. I'll break this story down because it's super interesting. Moses is leading the Israelites through the desert. And he goes up out on the mountain to spend time with God for their next direction. And so he tells the people, just hang tight. I will be back. Don't do anything dumb. That's the Derek translation, but it, it, it works. Don't do anything dumb. Just wait right here. Moses goes up on the mountain, has this life-changing encounter with God, gets the Ten Commandments, is feeling great about life, and he comes down the mountain, and what does he find? All the people didn't think Moses was coming back, so they burned all their gold jewelry, made a golden calf, and started to worship that. Just to bring full, that's dumb, okay? He said, don't be dumb, that's dumb. But he's angry because he's like, you guys don't trust God. You're not trusting this. He he has this hot, seething anger that's ferocious. We have this anger, and a lot of times this anger comes from a just heart. We like justice, don't we? We like justice to be served. It's why when you watch the movie of all the bad guys and the bad guy gets caught, you're like, yes, right? Because we like justice. As a senior in high school, we had to go down the hill to the football field to take our senior pictures. Every senior in the whole class went down to the football field, into the bleachers during the school day. So we took our sweet old time getting down there and back. We got down there, we took our picture, and then you have 215 students driving their own vehicle out one driveway outside of the football field. Took a long time. Two cars wide, divided by 215. Where's our math major? 110 deep, something like that. Long time to get out. Funniest part about this experience, and it was one of the best moments I've experienced about Justin. A little guy in an S10 Chevy truck decided he was going to skip the line. So he drove on the grass, drove through the field, hopped the curb, and then sped up the hill in the opposite direction into oncoming traffic, and at the very last second, swerved over to go to school. As he was cresting the hill, coming from the other direction was a law enforcement officer. And in front of the whole senior class, the cherries went on, he whipped around and got pulled over, and everybody in the parking lot cheered. Because it was like, yes! Finally, the cops are in the exact spot they need to be at the exact right time. And there was this, this part of us that was like so, so excited because justice was served. We love justice. 
We love for things to be made right. The only problem is we like justice when it's not for us. We like mercy when it's us. But when somebody else, oh, hit them with the book, baby. Bring the justice. That's not how it works. Life isn't fair, which is why. Navigate a life that's not fair. Point number three, you got to turn from wrath. Verse eight, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. Do not hurrah. It only leads to evil. It should make your stomach twist when a 27-year-old is single-handedly navigating a drop to get a little kid abducted and shipped across the country. It should make your blood boil. It should make your blood boil when you see villages and areas of the world that are ravaged by corrupt governments. And kids are being massacred purely because they can. It should make your blood boil. It should make you want to seek justice. Good thing. But we're called to turn from wrath. John chapter 18. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to be taken. Put on trial. Eventually crucified. For what you ask, living perfect, falsely accused to the nth degree. But look how this goes down in John chapter 18. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. These men are his disciples that are with him. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those who gave me. But here comes Simon Peter, our best friend. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Classic Peter. Jesus is in trouble. (laughs) Starts attacking people. And again, you might think, he's defending Jesus. What's wrong with that? It's good. Jesus didn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve to get put on trial. He didn't. But Peter did not do what Jesus asked him to do. What did he ask him to do? Mark chapter 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here, keep watch. Stay here, keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. Here comes Peter's last bit of instruction. Verse 37, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Not keeping watch, not sitting here, but sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
sit here and wait. Jesus knows what's coming and he's stressed out. Isn't it good to have people when you're stressed out who just are there for you? To just sit there and just be moral support? Jesus is human. He knows what awaits him. The pain. He just needs his squad to be there for him. They're asleep. He goes back, wakes him up. Hey, please just watch for me. Just stay awake and pray. I need you to pray. He fell asleep again. Jesus asked Peter, watch and pray. He never once asked him to defend. Not once. They hear, watch and pray. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Just because injustice is wrong doesn't mean it's our right to make. Just because there are evil things in this world that are incomprehensible doesn't mean it is our job to take them upon ourselves individually. Let me be exceptionally clear. I'm not saying it's permissible to just look the other way. It's okay that kids are being abused. It's okay that bad things are happening. It should make you boil inside. But what you do with that makes all the difference. Because if you go and hire Liam Neeson and go take care of it yourself, it's wrong. But what's right is to seek and ask God what you can do in this season right here and right now. I promise you the reason we're having a car show, the reason we run 30 miles for freedom is because we want to see human trafficking stop. It's evil. And let's stop it, because it needs to stop. But God's not asking me to take an AR-15 across the country and take care of it myself. He's asking me, stay here, and to have a voice, and to use my life to bring about justice. We are not called to fight fire with fire. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Turn from it. We're called to seek justice through God, not through our own motivation, which is precisely why we must heed the direction of David. Life isn't fair, but neither is faith. It's not fair. Jesus lived perfect. He had no mistake, sinless, perfect. But he died as a criminal. He took my sin, my sin from years ago, my sin from today, my sin from 10 years from now. He took it upon his shoulders and went down to the grave. So I wouldn't have to. So I could spend eternity with him in heaven. That's not fair. That's mercy. That's mercy. We should pursue justice, but not forget mercy. Faith isn't fair. I'm not saying we're on the same level of playing field as a trafficker. I'm not saying you're just like them. But in terms of what he died for, it is the same. So what do you do in a world that is unjust? What do you do in a world that is evil? You draw in. 
You delight yourself in the Lord. You're patient. Because guess what? Verse 1 and 2. Don't fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. You know who hates evil more than you do? God. He hates evil. He hates the fact that there are evil, corrupt things happening in our world. He hates that the enemy is doing what he's doing in our world. He hates it more than you do. Which is why he sent you. To love people. To extend mercy. To make an impact in the world. He hates evil way more than we do. Which is why he's going to stop it in due time. The grass withers. The plants die. Minnesotans know better than anybody. At some point, that green grass, it dies when there's no water. The drought's coming. The reason it's not is because he's waiting for us to step up and to share our faith and minister to the green grass so they can turn to the cross that they can turn from their life of sin and turn to the man who took it all away. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting because he loves those even though they're making terrible choices, even though he hates that that man is trafficking kids. He hates it more than anybody else could, but he still loves them because he's his kid. And he's hoping that by an act of God and the obedience of his people that somebody will speak to them so they can turn from their wrath. Turn to the cross. This morning as I was praying and getting ready, I just kind of felt this nudge that there are people in our very midst this morning, whether watching online, whether in person here, there is somebody and something that was done to you that eats you alive. Something that was evil, something that was unjust, something that wasn't fair a word that was spoken, an action that was taken, something that was wrong. And you are justified in feeling how wrong that was. But what I believe the Holy Spirit told me this morning is to go from the arrow pointing down to the arrow pointing up is to forgive. To let go of that unforgiveness. To let go of that thing that you continually go back to. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying you just have to forget it. But I am saying if you choose to just forgive and let go of this bitterness, if you delight yourself in the Lord by forgiving, what's going to happen? He'll give you the desires of your heart. Of freedom joy and peace we live in a broken world we live in a world that is messed up every single place we go but I love how David closes this psalm in verse 25 once I was young now I'm old he wrote this psalm later in his life after seeing the good the bad and the ugly all unfold but look what he says yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. Turn from evil and do good, and you will live in the land forever. For the Lord loves justice, and he will never abandon the godly. Justice is coming. 
Don't fret. Don't worry. Don't get angry. Justice is coming. But in the meantime, the godly, they're taken care of. They're covered. He's got them. He's got their financials. He's got their relationship help. He's got their marriage. He's got their dreams and desires. He's got them. So don't worry. Don't fret. Don't hold on to it. Because the world's only going to get more twisted. Which means it's all the more important for the church to be light. To be light in the darkness. We need to step out and pursue justice through the lens of mercy. Because faith isn't fair. It's not fair. With what we've done, what we get. Which is precisely the motivation that we need to find. So this morning, I have a question for you. Three. What injustice do you have to turn your wrath from? What do you have to turn away from? Find freedom. What injustice do we need to pray for? Because prayer makes a difference. You know, during COVID, human trafficking took a huge uptick, or I'm sorry, a huge downtick can't tell me that people have been praying for years that God used a global pandemic to help human trafficking. Prayer works. What do you got to pray for? And lastly, what things do I need to do to delight in the Lord? How do I need to delight in the Lord today, this week? Letting go of something. Is it asking for prayer? Is it going to a group? Is it worshiping? What is it? You delight in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. It might not be the truck, but it might just be the joy that you've been looking for for a long time. Delight yourself in the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, you're a just God. You bring all things into completion and fruition. You're also a God full of mercy. God, we ask for your mercy today. We ask that you would forgive us of the things in which we have done wrong, the times in which our wrath, justified or not, has gotten in the way of what you want to do. Would you forgive us, Jesus? Would you help us to walk in line with you, all the days of our life. But today, Jesus, I pray that you would stir a heart inside of us to pursue you, to pursue you in the lives of the oppressed, to pursue you on behalf of those who don't have a voice, those who don't know you. I pray, Jesus, that today you would give us clarity, direction, and wisdom to know how to step into your will, Jesus. God, I pray that today we would walk out of these doors changed, equipped and empowered to carry your mercy into the world, Lord. We ask that you'd move on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're excited for God to move this week, would you just put your hands together this morning? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.